Hello, everyone. I'm Greg Goins from the Reimagined Schools podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of the individual host. Make sure you check out all the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com and get ready because the learning begins in three, two, one. Hey, welcome back. Today I'm talking with Scott Phillips, who's a video production superstar, and we're focused on his movie, Do It Differently, which tells the deeply personal stories of four fathers raising autistic children. This film is powerful, and you are going to want to watch this more than once. By the way, the film is also available for free on Amazon Prime and YouTube. I have those links in my show notes, as well as if you go into Amazon Prime and YouTube, you just put the name in of the film, do it differently, and it'll pop right up. By the way, for some strange reason, I kept calling it by the wrong name. I do not understand why that got stuck in my head, but do know that the film is called Do It Differently. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and have an awesome day. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Scott Phillips is a video production superstar with the University of Oregon Athletic Department and Markham Auction Agency. He holds a degree in cinema studies with departmental honors from the University of Oregon. And, uh, you know, he's, he's really rooting for the ducks out there, man. I, by the way, I like their... <laughs> That's right. They always had the au- most awesome uniforms. <laughs> um, he worked in TV news for 10 years in Portland, both as an on-air personality and a photographer editor. He produces music videos and videos for NCAA Division I sporting events all across the country. Scott is a filmmaker and has created award-winning documentaries and two feature films. He has written a number of feature film scripts as well. Today we're talking about his film, Doing It Differently. Doing It Differently, and this is from the description of the movie, tells the deeply personal stories of four fathers raising autistic children. The dads describe their ongoing journeys from the moment everything changed to present day. They see opportunity where others see disability, and they'll help educators do the same. Their autistic kids are doing amazing things and subsequently knocking down barriers and opening eyes. Scott, thanks for joining me today. Say hi to everyone. Oh, thanks, Stephen. I really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you joining me, and uh, you know, as we were talking before we got on air, you're kind of under cover of snow, right? <laughs> yeah, there's... Uh... The foot left out here in uh, Eugene, Oregon. So we got a good storm going, but the kids are back in school, so everything's trying to get back to normal. There we go. There we go. So let's uh, let's talk about. Uh, and and by the way, as as I uh, um, before we get into the film, doing it differently, you have some really cool stuff on your YouTube channel and uh, and your video on your uh, website um, of different samples of some of the work you've done. And uh, just wanted to uh, before we go into the film. Just a little bit about you as a filmmaker. Just can you talk a little bit about uh, where that's all coming from and what got you into it? Um, you know, my dad was a, a, a musician uh, growing up when we were kids, and he would play um, weddings and those kind of things at local churches. And when I was, I think I was 10 or 11 years old, he brought home a video camera that he had bought. Uh, that he had wanted to start making videos of the weddings um, and performances that, that he was playing at. And, but since he couldn't run the camera, um, he had to have somebody else do it. And so he asked me if I wanted to do it. And, it, you know, at 12 years old, when you're offered a video camera and 40 <laughs> bucks to, to shoot a, a wedding for an hour, you don't really say no. Yes. Um, and so that's pretty much how I started getting behind the camera. Um, and that kind of continued through, uh, middle school, high school. Yeah, I kind of got away from it a little bit. I, I took up music quite a bit, um, going to the university of Oregon for my music composition, um, degree. But then I, I kept going back to cameras and video and working my way through school. I had a friend that worked at a local TV station and they needed a part-time editor and I had never done anything professionally like that. And so I took the gig um, learned how to shoot, you know, rules of thirds and color corrections and all this stuff that you learn when you're learning cameras and video editing systems. And it just, it, it just kept going from there. So 
I'd always liked movies and film and growing up in Southern California, you're close to, you know, the Hollywood and the movie system and you kind of see those things happening around you and always wanted to be part of it. And it just, it just felt like a natural fit once I got into the news department. And then I started writing and editing and doing all kinds of things. And it just led to one thing after another. And now here I am. 20 some years later still doing it so very cool awesome and towards the end of the show we'll get back and talk a little bit about your uh, your company and uh, a little bit more see if you got any new stuff coming out so um yeah what i like to do right now is let's uh, shift over and talk about uh, doing it differently um where where'd the idea of creating this film come from um well you know do it differently is is interesting because um when i was 35 years old my wife got pregnant and so we were going to have our first child and it was everything was going to be great and and he was born and it was it was great and the first couple of years were wonderful and then when he was about 2 or 3 years old um he still didn't have any words and he was not really advancing the way um, hitting milestones that um, most doctors would tell you, you know, at, at one, he has to do this, at two, he has to do this, three, he has to do that. He wasn't talking even at three years old. And so we decided to um, figure out what's going on. And so our doctor sent my wife and my son to a specialist to give him a, some, a series of tests to see what was going on. And so I couldn't go that day because I had to work. And so after my wife got out of the test, she called me and said, well, the doctor said he has autism. And when you hear that, it's, you don't really know what to say. You don't really know what to think. Cause growing up, you know, thinking about other kids with autism, it wasn't really a thing. You know, I grew up in the late seventies and early eighties and it, you know, there were some kids in class that were a little different than everybody, but you never really heard that word. And so I, I had heard it, you know, most of my autism experience was with either Rain Man or um, I had done a couple of news stories on severely autistic children. But it didn't seem like he fit into those categories. Um, but the, the troubling part was that they didn't really give us any information to go on other than the doctor said he has autism. Here's a pamphlet and good luck. That's basically what they said to us. So my wife and I spent quite a bit of time doing research and trying to find therapies and things that would help him as soon as possible because the early intervention um, has been proven to, you know, bring these kids up to where you can understand them, you can work with them, you can figure out their needs and help them meet their needs so that they can self-soothe and self-regulate. Um, so when we got the pamphlet from the doctor, it was basically, you know, there's, there's really not much that they can do for us. And so, like I said, we took it upon ourselves. We found a, a wonderful place here in town that that works with autistic children. We got him into speech therapy. Um, but the the thing that, that really spurned the film was that I couldn't find when I was doing research. Everything that I found was from a mother's perspective. It was um, you know a, a single mother and her autistic son, which are you know incredibly inspirational stories. But from my point of view, I was looking at it from a dad's point of view and trying to figure out okay, what's my role now as a dad? And I couldn't find anything anywhere online except for a couple of blogs maybe that gave a father's point of view. And so what I decided to do when I talked to my wife about it is, you know, look, let's, I've got a ton of questions <laughs> that I need answered. And I think the best way to get them answered is by finding other guys that are in similar situations. And so my son had been going to therapy for a little while and I had gotten to know the executive director of Bridgeway House, which is an, a school for autistic kids here in Eugene. And they do amazing work. She hooked me up with a few people who hooked me up with a few people. And eventually I found uh, four or five guys that were willing to change or to share their story. Um, and they each had kids on the spectrum at different points in their life. So a couple of them have younger kids. Um, one of them had an adult at the time that was 21. Another one had a son that was in high school. And I basically just asked them all of the questions that I would have asked the doctor or was looking for online. And these guys, the answers that they provided was more like therapy for me to kind of figure out where I'm going in this whole journey. So that's basically the, the, the background for the, the whole idea for the film. And I thank you so much for sharing because it, it, it's so 
powerful listening to what you're talking about as you're looking for answers that you need as a dad, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. And, you know, I had a, a, a very, my dad was in my life um, in a very positive way and still is. Um, and I see a lot of these kids, especially on the spectrum, um, after having my son in therapy for the last eight years, we've, meet a, we've met a lot of parents and a lot of them are single mothers. And, you know, some of the questions that I asked some of the guys, you know, about the relationship part is, you know, sometimes the dad just doesn't stick around, which I can't fathom doing that. But, um, it was, it was kind of scary though, to, to see that a lot of these kids get left with a single parent to raise them, which only makes it even harder. So it's, it opened up a whole new side of life, I guess, that I had never contemplated before. And, um, just some amazing people that I've met. Uh, thank you so much for sharing. And it, and, the, and the movie just so we're going to get in this just a little bit is, is so powerful because that message is loud and clear as you hear the different um, comments from the fathers and uh, that uh, fit right in there. What, what it, before we go any further though, who's the targeted audience when you, when you're making the movie, is it, is it fathers or were you thinking also a bigger picture? To be honest, perfectly honest, the, the audience was me. <laughs> oh. I mean, I, I was I was doing these interviews as a form of therapy for me. Um, the 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 fact that they were able to share as much as they did, um, it made me realize after watching the interviews and then putting the whole thing together, it was basically for somebody out there, mainly a, a, a dad who is out there who had just received a diagnosis of their child for autism. And they didn't know what to do. My my hope was that if those were people out there, and it's happening more and more because the numbers are you know increasing every day. Basically, it's what it feels like. There's more and more kids on the spectrum every day. So there are going to be more and more dads out there that are going to be searching for information. And there, my thought was that they're going to be searching for stuff that I was searching for from a dad's point of view. And how do I deal with it as a as a dad? And so my thought was, well, why don't I just make this a film that guys can watch that will make them feel more comfortable in their situation, help them maybe answer some questions and make them feel like they're not alone. You know, a lot of times um, dads are maligned, you know, the, the mom is, is, um, and mother's loves like, it's like uh, Mike Guido in the movie, you know, he has a great line where he's like, mother's love is real. It, it's real, but dad's love too. Yes. And a lot of the times, um, and especially in, um, modern TV shows or films or whatever it is, the dads are, are kind of seen as clumsy idiots. And I don't know why that is, but I, I wanted to, to show that these guys are strong and they're doing what's right by their family. And a lot of them do it and that there's no parade for them. There's no, you know, they're not celebrated in any way. It's just, they do it and that's their job and that's what they do because that's what they love to do. And so Making the movie, I was hoping to give those guys some strength to be like, you can do this. You know, you might have to look at everything a little differently, but they're still your kid and you're still going to love them. You just have to figure out how to do that a little differently. And it, it, and what you're talking about, it comes through so loud and clear in the film and you cannot watch without uh, feeling uh, the emotion. And, and actually I'm getting ready to ask you a question that, uh, that, uh, focuses on something that one of, the, one of the fathers talks about. But um, before I do that, though, and you're already touching base on this, one of the things that I want to um, get us to talk about is you can't watch doing it differently without feeling connected with the fathers and their children. A major theme that is apparent throughout the film has to do with fears and hopes. Can you talk a little bit about this? Yeah, yeah I think, you know, when you become a father or a parent, at, you know, at all, mother or father, um, life you look at life and completely differently. Everything looks differently and it, and it should, because now you're, you're not looking out for just yourself. You're looking out for somebody else and you're looking out for, you know, not just the next 20, 30 years of your life, but the next 50, 60 of, of their life and maybe the next, you know, 50, 60 of their, their kids. So it's, it, it becomes, you, you start to see the bigger picture um, when you become a parent. And so, those fears and those hopes of what your kid is going to accomplish or, 
you know, if you have a, a neurotypical child, you know, you hope that they go to school and they make friends and they go to college and they get a good job and they have healthy relationships. When you have a child on the spectrum, your fears are just explode because especially when you try and think about, okay, when I'm, and you do this, it's like when I'm gone or when my wife and I are gone, who is going to take care of my son? Can, is he going to be able to take care of himself? I don't know. He might. Is he going to live with us for the rest of his life? I don't know. He might. And you have to be okay with any scenario that happens because you don't know what's going to happen. And so those, the not knowing part is what makes those fears kind of explode in your head. And if you're not careful, it can take over your whole life. Um, my wife and I, you know, sometimes it's just a day at a time. We're going to worry about today and once today is over, then we'll start thinking about tomorrow. And a lot of the times it goes from day to day to day, depending on my son's mood or how school is going or, you know, it could be a hundred different things. But having a neurotypical child is one thing. Having a, a child on the spectrum, it's it's a completely different adventure. Um, and the fears and the expectations, they're just multiplied. And sometimes that can be stressful. So. Yeah, and that, and I can only imagine, and 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 through the video clips, the the home movie clips, and things like that that are in the film, you you see this firsthand, which which uh, leads me to, and you've already talked a little bit about this, the uh, um, the idea of uh, a lot of times there's single moms because the dads have left, or you know, and, and I can see where that stress would happen, where you know a parent does leave, um, says I can't do this anymore. And uh, during the mo movie, this comment is made. Um, my wife recognizes if I'm having a hard time, she then steps in. I would imagine that raising an autistic child would be a, uh, put a lot of stress on spouses. And, uh, you know, what did you learn about this? And I it, and I'd said a couple different times, and you've just said it very well just a few minutes ago. Um, but I just wonder if we could go back to talking about this, the need to have the ability for someone to, I don't know, if just like, <laughs> where the image of tag team or just as support. Um, yeah. And that's, that is exactly what it is. It, it, it's a tag team because, you know, my wife, we're lucky enough that um, my wife is able to stay at home. Um, we have, my son is now 11 years old. Um, he goes to the elementary school, the local elementary school. And he's, he's gone from having a one-on-one -on -one therapist in kindergarten, and first grade, and then he shared one in second and third grade. Now he's in fifth grade now, and he's completely on his own in a public school setting. That's very stressful for him. Um, but luckily, my my wife is at home. She does work from home, but um, at least she's there. She sends the kids off to school. She uh, or she gets them to school. She picks them up from school. She takes them you know to their after school activities. I, we also have a, a neurotypical daughter who is uh, nine years old. She's in third grade. Um, but have because she's at home and she's with my son and my daughter most of the time, that can be <laughs> incredibly hard on her when I'm at work. So when I come home, I can see it in her eyes when she's at the end of her rope, especially with him, because he, he didn't talk, you know, until he was past three years old. He never, he didn't talk until he was like three and a half and it was, sounds and it wasn't words. So we spent seven years in speech therapy to get him to be able to form words correctly with his tongue because he just couldn't do it. And now we can't get him to be quiet because I think all those years of silence is just bubbling up in him. And so his, his questions are just incessant and nonstop. And so sometimes that in itself can just drive you up the wall, but you have to hold it together. And so when I come home, sometimes I can see it on her face and, you know, I try to take over and give her a break because I couldn't imagine not having somebody else to lean on to, to, to who understands what you're going through and can jump in and take the lead when they need to. You know, if she has an appointment or something and I've got to take care of the kids for a while, you know, I got no problem doing that. But even spending a few hours with them, especially my son, can be exhausting mentally because he just goes from one topic to the next to the next. And so having somebody there that understands you, that knows you, 
that understands the kid and what's going on, it's, it's invaluable. And so I, I feel really bad for those people that end up in this situation and have one of the spouses say, I can't do it anymore and, and abandon the whole situation, which is one of the most cowardly things I can think anybody could do. Um, leaving somebody in a situation like that. But I'm so grateful that I have my wife that, that understands and, and knows me and knows my son and is, is all in on the family, you know, trying to do what's best for our son at any given time. So it's, it's a, it's a strange world we live in. And if everybody would just stick around and love their kids, you know, I think it'd be a, a a lot better place, but I'm just, I'm grateful that I have who I have. That's awesome. The, uh, you know, I, I, one of the things that I was going to get to, and I, I think it just is appropriate fitting in here, is um, that during the latter half of the film, one of the fathers starts talking about the level of frustration that builds and the role of him as a dad. And you've kind of talked about this with your dad um, earlier in, in our talk. And, and uh, basically he says, as a dad, you can't give up. Can you, can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, because that's, I mean, that's what, that's what dads do. They, they love, they, they raise their kids. They, they do what's right by their family. They don't, um, they don't abandon what they've created. It's, um, I guess my, my best example is my, yeah, like my, like you said, my, my own dad who worked nonstop, you know, he, he, I have three brothers. And so, you know, he had four kids <laughs> and he was a, a musician, you know, freelancing and trying to get his own record label going and produce his own music while working at four or five different churches and directing choirs. And, you know, just the stress, the amount of stress that, that, uh, I saw. And he, the thing is, as a kid, he never, my parents never made us feel like we didn't have money or we didn't, have the things that we wanted because I never felt like I had any less than anybody else. But the way that, uh, the way that we were raised, it was, it was just, we're a family and we stick together and that's what we do. I didn't know any other way. And so you know, once I got into this situation and I started talking to some of these guys, especially uh, Mike Guido, who's a hilarious stand-up comedian down in California who was, who had just happened to be on tour with his one man show about his autistic daughter when he was in town and I was doing these interviews um, and he agreed to do it. And the, some of the insights from him um, were just amazing about how, you know, when you love someone, you serve them and he's served his daughter for 20 some years and she's severely autistic and they just, it, it's, that's just who she is and we love her for who she is. And, you know, just to see that commitment on his face and to where he's not wavering after 20 some years of, of having this, um, stressful situation in your life, you know, and it inspires me to, to not complain when my son's talking to me because his daughter's nonverbal and it's, you, you really get to appreciate what you have by seeing the situations that other people are in. So, I mean, as a dad, I love both of my kids equally. Um, and they're both a joy. They're just different. And that's so, um, you know, you, you, you hear, you know, you just, you, and that's what you gotta be. Like you said, it, it's the role. You, I mean, if you're a parent, if you're a dad or if you're a mom who can imagine giving up, right? Yeah. I, I would never even consider it. never even crossed my mind. And that's, you know, when, when we were doing the interviews and, and, there were two or three of the guys that had that that discussion had come up in their relationships of, you know, we either, I think one of the other guys, Mike Whitty said that he was talking to his wife and it was like, look, we got to either have to fix this relationship or we have to end it, you know? And even, and like I said, a couple of the other guys had talked about that with their spouses. And it's just like, wow, to even, to even consider, consider that aspect of, of maybe, calling it quits and doing the split home thing and all of that is for me personally, it never, it never entered into my mind. It was okay. Well, well now we have a diagnosis. Okay. What do we do? We find, let's find, I was trying to be very logical and reasonable, reasonable about it. Cause I, I didn't want to get too emotional about it. I wanted to just try and think about what, how do we, how do we help Luke, my son? How do we help Luke 
figure out what he needs to figure out in order to be the best that he can be. Now, whether that's living with us for the rest of his life or that's getting a job and going to college and doing all of this stuff, um, whatever his life's going to be, let's, let's try and give him every single thing that we can to make it as easy for him as possible. Now, I know a lot of, you know, I'm not trying to make his life easy. I'm trying, I'm not trying to, uh, sugarcoat it or cushion him or anything like that. I want him to experience everything and so that he knows what's going on in the world. But I also want to make it, I want to make his path as easy as possible to, uh, to succeed in his own way. I don't even know what that's going to be yet, you know? So yeah. I'm just trying to do the best that I know how to make both my kids successful. And it might be a little different for each of them, but I'm going to do whatever I can. That's, that's so awesome that you have that mindset. Uh, um, Scott, I can't tell you that's, that's very, very powerful. And I hope, uh, um, that the, uh, the listeners are hearing that, uh, um, th- that emotion from you there, the, uh, you know, one of the things that, uh, um, becomes readily apparent and you've actually even kind of touched base, touched on this just a little bit already, um, is throughout the, there's, there's a couple comments in the movie that, uh, um, a powerful discovery that becomes readily apparent in the film is, is this role of the siblings. You know, the, some of the siblings kind of take on in some cases, uh, um, they, they suddenly are asked to be a lot older than they are. Um, and I was, I was wondering if you could just talk about that experience and talking with these families like that, about that. Yeah, that's, that's true. Um, so Mike Guido's daughter is, um, has autism and he has a pretty large family. So he has three or four other kids, um, that are incredibly supportive and protective of, uh, his daughter, Maria. Um, Jonathan Ayers in the movie has, um, his son, um, who's autistic has another son who's, or he has another, he has a brother basically, um, who's neurotypical. And then, um, um, obviously my son has his little sister who's two years younger. Um, and then Mike Witte, who's also in the film, um, his, he has two boys. So his older son, Jack is on the spectrum and he has a younger son, Kyle. Um, and even in the movie, Mike was saying how, you know, Kyle has always had to be the big brother to his older brother because, you know, Jack would cross the street without looking and do all of these things where Kyle ended up having to be his older brother's protector. Um, I'm already seeing that with my daughter at eight years old. Um, she knows we, I've had this, the discussion with her about the word autism and what it means and how we explain it as, well, Luke has, he has a different way of perceiving the world. His mind works a little differently than ours, but he's still your brother and we still love him and we look out for him. We care for him. Um, and I talked to Luke too, about his little sister, about how as a big brother, what his role is, you know, you have to take care of your little sister. Your job as a big brother is to love and take care of your sister and make sure that she's safe. But at the same time, Ellie, my daughter, is much older than eight years old. And part of me is extremely proud of her for for that. And the other part of me is extremely sad. Um, Mostly because she kind of, she's missing out on what I think is a typical little sister, older brother relationship. Um, now he loves her to death. He would never hurt her. Um, but sometimes he's, he can be, um, aloof, not play, um, appropriately, be a little too rough. Um, and she, she, you know, kids are smart. She understands, she, she sees that he's not the, he he doesn't operate the same way that most other fifth graders do, um, at the elementary school. They go to the same elementary school. Um, I usually take them to school or my wife will, and, you know, I drop them off at each of their respective classrooms. Um, but she is, she's amazing and she's going to be an incredible woman when she grows up. Um, I think growing up with her older brother is going to fill her with empathy, um, and understanding for other people that aren't, um, that don't think the same way that she does, you know, that, that are maybe a little different. Um, I know when I was growing up, if there was a quirky kid or somebody that I couldn't relate to as a kid, you know, you don't know what to do. You just kind of either ignore them or, or don't be friends with them or whatever it is. But she's already, I can see it, um, 
when there are kids that are a little different or a little strange, she will go out of her way to try and help them and make them part of whatever game they're playing or book they're reading or whatever it is. Um, she's just the sweetest thing in the world. And I, one of the first things I saw when I was doing research on this is, you know, the best thing for kids with autism are pets and siblings. <laughs> and we don't have a pet yet, <laughs> but, um, I don't think they're quite ready for that, but she is just incredible. The, the way that she interacts with her brother and then the way that she talks to me and my wife, it's, it's amazing to see. That is, that is just amazing. So I, I can't thank you enough for sharing your personal stories here. The, uh, you know, one, one of the things I want to talk about with the film is, is at the, at the end of the film, there's a closing song and it, and just as a note, to you know, Scott, the filmmaker, um, I couldn't stop listening with the images that are showing around it um, from the film and such. And uh, uh, could you talk a, a little bit about the choice of the closing song? There's a line that goes something like this, send me out there like a bottle rocket. Why, why was this song used? Is it an original song for the movie? And what meaning were you hoping to connect with the, the closing of the film? You know, it's not an original song for the movie. It's uh, a really close friend of mine named Aaron Ebbage that I went to high school with and um, he's played in bands for years. He does music for a lot of TV shows. Um, he put out an album, an acoustic album of all of his own original music about a year or so before the movie came out and he had sent it to me and I thought it was just amazing. All of his songs on, on his record are just so great. Um, and I asked him if I could use some of the pieces for the movie. And so most of the music, if not all of the music throughout the film is from um, his record Neat. because I just thought it was so great. Um, and that last scene, the credit sequence, um, with that song, I just thought it was, I loved the bottle rocket song or the, the line. Um, does the way, the way the song feels, his voice, everything about that song just felt really soothing and calming. And, and I, I loved the lyrics. And then when we were, um, when we were putting together that last sequence, I had had a friend of mine shoot some underwater footage of Jack, who is uh, Mike's autistic son, because um, one of his favorite activities is swimming. And, you know, the, he talks about it in the film, how he, you know, take, took his son to, to learn how to swim. And it took him five, six, seven, eight, nine, you know, 12 times or whatever it was to pass the swimming test the first time. And, um, and then he passed the next one and the next one, and the next one. And uh, how he, <laughs> how he will, uh, kind of bet the the lifeguards there how long he can float on his back it's really funny the whole the whole sequence about yes. how he interacts with the lifeguards yes um and, and we had put we'd put some of that footage in the film because i loved it so much and then at the end i was like you know his jack playing with his dad with the underwater footage was so i just thought it was so compelling and just so fun to watch that i just put the whole clip up there at the end it's like a two and a half minute clip of them just goofing off in the water it's just father and son having a good time it doesn't matter that you know he's on the spectrum or they're just they're they're creating a relationship and a bond there that's just it doesn't it, it, it transcends any kind of you know neurodiversity that they both have and combined with the song it was just like this is just a natural it's just and even when i watched the film and i haven't watched it i hadn't watched it for a long time um until recently. And then when I watched the end of it, I was like, this is so cool to watch the end of this where they're just goofing around in the pool and the, and the, the music just, just went right along with it. It was, it was one of those things where a lot of times where I would drop in a music bed into the, into the, the video and it would just fit and I wouldn't have to edit anything. It just, <laughs> I don't know. It was like magic. I just kind of put it in and it just, it worked. So that's how it happened. That's cool because it it does. I I I watched it multiple times as I you know the first time as I was just paying attention as the movie was finishing, and then I went wait a second that fits so well and I went back and I watched it again and then I and then the and I watched it again so I could start writing down the lyrics because it it just really fit well with the with the swimming footage and so forth and I I just think uh, kudos on on. Uh, seeing that fit there because it really is and it does entice you into just staying and, and sticking around and thinking about what you've watched and uh so a, a, a neat fit um especially for yeah, how it yeah I'm, out. I, was, I was glad that aaron let you know let me use the the tracks and and it was it's just one of those things that just came together and it, it didn't really have to force it that's awesome so so let's talk a little bit about uh 
um, something you're trying to do. You're trying to create audience in school settings for doing it differently. Could you share a little bit about why and, and how a school or school system or a teacher could uh, maybe make a viewing happen or, or how we might go about uh, pursuing this? Yeah. So when I first put out the film, I, I figured that it would just, it would live somewhere where dads could search and find it. Um, and with the internet, you know, you put it on YouTube, you put it, throw the link out there a few times and see if people will, will, you know, take a watch and take a chance on it and watch it. Um, I had a, a, I go to a church here in town and one of the guys at church, um, that knows me came up to me and told me that the city of Eugene, um, was using it as a diversity training tool. Um, you could get credit for diversity training as an employee if you come watch this film. Um, and so he invited me to the screening. And so I went down and um, there are 20 or 30 people there um, getting their diversity training um, points, however they do it with their system. And then afterwards, I kind of led a, a discussion about autism. And, you know, there were several people in the in the crowd that, that, have, that have autistic kids or know people that, that are on the spectrum. And um, I was amazed, though, how how much it's how many people understand and know about it already. You know, it's when I was growing up and before I had kids, I didn't, I didn't really know the numbers of how many kids have autism, especially in like the public school system. But once I found out they were using this for diversity training, I, I, I had a talk with the guy that had invited me and, and it's like, they should, this, this film should be in, in schools. It should be part of curriculum because more and more, you're seeing more and more of these kids that are coming up through the public school system. Now, some of them have to go to specialized schools because they are severely impacted. But a lot of them, like my son, who's going to go to, or he is in public school right now, and he just needs a little extra help. Um, and sometimes that little extra help can be a teacher understanding that, okay, maybe I give the information to Luke a little differently than I do with the rest of the class or um, something like that where the teachers and the administrators can understand that not everybody is going to fit into this cookie cutter box, especially nowadays when more and more kids are being diagnosed with autism. You know, these kids are going to grow up and they're going to come through the school system. And if you're not ready for them, the teachers, especially who are, you know, the first line of uh, authority with these kids, how are you going to deal with all of these kids coming up if your teachers and your administrators don't understand that their brain works differently or that they're coming from a situation that is different than a neurotypical family where you, where you can just plug the kid into the system and, you know, the, the district tests are like this and this is how you show it's, it's completely different with, with kids on the spectrum. And, you know, I've always said you meet one kid with autism, you've met one kid with autism because they're all different. And so trying to get school administrators and teachers to understand that you're going to have a lot of these kids in your classroom. It's going to happen. So why not be prepared? And this film can allow you an insight to at least understand what the parents are going through. Um, each kid is going to learn differently. Some of them are visually, some of, some of them hear, hear it and they can understand it. Some kids need to see it and they understand it. But if the teachers can understand that the diversity also includes neurodiversity. So you've got to understand that sometimes you explaining something to the rest of the class might be great, but for this one or two kids, in, for these one or two kids in your class that don't understand it that way, there's got to be a way to do it differently. So that's kind of where the whole thing came out of um, just trying to get people in authority to understand that these kids are growing up. They're going to be coming through your system. And we have to make room for them. Not everybody's going to fall into the cookie cutter um, X's and O's blocks. You know, you got to you got to have some parallelograms and trapezoids <laughs> in there, too, right. because we're all a little different. That's all. That's awesome, because that message uh um, would come through loud and clear. So what, what, what do you think, what advice would you give for someone who's wanting to, uh, um, to use your film? I mean, what, is it, is it open to be able to, uh, uh, to do a public showing where you could do it at a PTA meeting, you could do it for a faculty meeting, you could bring in, uh, I mean, do you travel to speak or any of the fathers or? You know, I've traveled around Oregon to do it. We, we had one at the St. Charles Medical Center in Bend, Oregon, 
Um, we've had a showing in Portland. We had several showings in Eugene. Um, I'm always willing to, to travel to talk on this subject anywhere. Um, but the film is on Amazon Prime. So if you're an Amazon Prime member, you can watch it for free. Um, and I'm not, I'm, I'm telling everybody that, that wants to watch it or wants to show it, just watch it and show it as much as you can. Excellent. You know, I'm not, I'm not looking to make any money off of this thing. I'm trying to get people to watch it. Um, and if there's, you know, even if there's one teacher out there that, that watches it and goes, Oh, okay, I get it. Or it just makes them think a little differently about, you know, how to approach a kid that's on the spectrum because they're, they're still just kids. Right. You know, they're still learning like everybody else and they just want to be accepted. Most of them just want to want to be accepted and do good work and, and have a good time just like everybody else. Um, I think the problem is a lot of teachers, especially younger teachers, get frustrated. Um, you know, we've had that a couple of times with our son where they just get frustrated because they don't know how to deal with him because they won't take the time to, to sit down and try to understand him. It's, um, and it's tough. So I would I would say, you know, if you're an Amazon Prime member, just look up, do it differently and watch it for free and show it to people and just get people to understand that these kids are here. And most of these kids are brilliant. You know, they're, if you, if you can reach them on their level, they'll surprise you and amaze you because my son knows more about the stars than I could ever even imagine. (laughs) You know, he teaches me more every day than I ever, ever taught him. So I would just want people to watch it. Excellent. Excellent. I got, and I can inter- encourage you listeners, you need to find it and I'll p- provide some links in my show notes, um, to the film on Amazon and, uh, as well as to the YouTube link and so forth. And, and you really want to do this. Uh, you want to take a look at it. You want to share it with whoever I've watched it several times. I've watched it with a couple of people with me watching it. Um, and, uh, it is very powerful message that it sends. And you can, uh, like, like Scott said, it's, it's there for you to access and just, he just wants you to show it. And, uh, and you can uh, and you can do that. The uh, let's let's uh, shift gears here just for a minute. And uh, so, talk about Fanblade Films. Do you have any other projects that you're working on now, or what's next? Uh, well, you know, at the moment, <laughs> Luke takes up a lot of my time. Um, I had a couple film projects in the works that never really got off the ground, and mostly because of my my work and what I'm trying to help Luke with at the po- at this moment. I don't really have anything in the pipeline other than um, yeah, I've had several people suggest a sequel to this because it's been a few years. Um, and I think I might wait a couple of years to, uh, to do a little sequel, a little follow-up with all of the guys because, um, you know, when we did the movie, Jack, my, one of my, Mike's, Mike's son, um, he was in high school. Right. Um, I, th- I think he, he's graduated now. Um, I think he's in college. I'd have to double check, but these kids are getting older. And what's interesting is as the kids get older, they age out of the um, programs, you know, the state sponsored programs for uh, for kids with autism. And then part of the the deal is like, where do they go now? You know, they've, they've aged out. So they don't, they're not eligible for any, any more services, but they're still not a hundred percent on their own. So how, how do we help them transition to adulthood? Um, the school that provides home therapies for my son, he still has home therapies once a week. Um, but the Bridgeway house that, that offers that, you know, they're, they're transitioning to, um, adult services to try and get these kids. Um, they're not kids anymore. That's, that's the thing I keep calling them kids, but you know, they're getting older and older and, and they, they need support still, but because they're older, um, you know, they don't really get that yet. So, my plan is probably in the next couple of years to follow up with these guys to see how, how it's going, what, what's happening with their relationships and all that kind of stuff. Since I've had a few requests for that, but other than that, it's, you know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I got a, a couple of full-time jobs that I'm trying to work through and um, be there as much as I can for, for the kids. And in the evenings kind of work on a few little small side projects that are only interesting to me, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I can tell you that you've got a um, you got a knack for making uh, uh, visual images that are uh, very uh, um, enlightening and powerful, and and want you to make you want to know more. I enjoyed watching the from a couple of years ago. You have some commercials there. You have the motorcycle guys, and you have some uh, 
video, uh, music video and some other things. And, and, uh, so I, I hope that uh, next spark happens. And I got to tell you, I hope that you do, uh, um, get a chance to make that sequel. Cause that, uh, I think that would be very welcome, um, uh, very welcome by a lot of people. So clear to me. Yeah, I think, I think it will. I think, uh, I think if we focus on the transitioning to adulthood, which is a big issue right now. So, um, yeah, it would be, it'd be fun. And I haven't seen, I see Mike Whitty, uh, um, since he lives here in town, I see him on occasion. Um, you know, with the other guys, I see Mike Guido online, um, on his Facebook page, cause he's still doing his comedy tour. He does a one man stand up show about his, um, about his daughter, which is incredible if you can catch it. Um, but, uh, yeah, it'd be fun to do that. That would be excellent. Well, I encourage you to, to, to do that because that, uh, I think it would be very well welcomed. Um, before we go, if someone wanted to connect further with you, where would you send them? Um, <laughs> I have, uh, have a, an Instagram account. Um, you could get at me there or you can get at me on my Facebook page. Um, I'm trying to think of my handle. <laughs> I don't really, uh, I'm kind of a private person as far as social media goes. Um, a lot of the stuff I post is, is, uh, not family related, but, uh, work related stuff. Um, but, um, on Twitter, on uh, Instagram, it's Scott Michael Phillips. And then if you want to email me, um, and ask me anything about the movie or anything, you can just email me at fanbladefilms at gmail.com. That's probably the best way to do it. Awesome. And I will make sure that those are uh, linked in the uh, show notes, um, uh, for anybody uh, listening, uh, while they're, out riding or exercising or in their car or something. So just go back to my show notes page and you'll, you'll have those, uh, those links there. So awesome. Um, well, you know, I got, as we, as we finish up, I got two questions, um, two separate questions that I'd like to finish with. And, and the first one goes like this, Uh, Scott, if you had the chance to talk with 100 brand new teachers, what is one piece of advice you would want to give them about working with kids or parents? Oh, wow. (laughs) That's a tough one. Um, be patient. Um, I see a lot of teachers that come in and they have their, they have their agenda. They have what they need to get done out of their kids. Um, and I know that a lot of them spend a lot of time and it's, it's not the teacher's fault, but they spend a lot of time preparing kids for these, what are called standardized tests. Um, and it's basically a test to, for the, so that the district can see where everybody's at. My son does not do very well on those district tests. Um, but if you give him the same information, the same questions in a different way, he flourishes. So I would say don't get stuck in your ways. Um, if you think teaching is going to go one way, and this is how you're going to teach and every kid is going to learn this. And if they don't, I'm going to do this, you know, X, Y, Z doesn't work that way. It's a, it's a fluid thing where you have to take a look at each kid individually. And maybe this guy doesn't get the way that you just explained that. Maybe you have to come at the problem from a different direction. Maybe he needs a visual reference. Maybe he needs Maybe he needs headphones because it's too loud in there. Maybe he or she, you know, needs to be spoken to a certain way or you got to, I think the the big thing is the group mentality where it's like first graders do this, second graders do that, third graders do that. You got to get out of that mindset because there's no such thing as a typical third grader, a typical fourth grader. <laughs> right. You know, anybody who has kids know that <laughs> even if you have two kids, they're not going to be di- they're the same. They're going to be completely right. <laughs> different, whether they're neurotypical or not. So just be flexible, be understanding, and try and try and understand that every every parent that comes in, whether it's the mom and the dad, or just the mom, or just the dad, whatever their situation is in, just try and understand that. And be kind, you know, a lot of times when, when teachers that I've dealt with have to do things that are out of their comfort zone or something that they're not familiar with, it, it manifests in what I call attitude. (laughs) And I'm not putting any teachers down specifically because they have 
a thankless job and most of them are amazing. The teachers that we've had at our elementary school, most of them have been incredible. But you got to understand that not everybody is coming at life the same way that you are. And just try to understand that. Awesome advice. Awesome advice. Last question. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? What would you say if given the chance to say thank you? Yeah, I thought about this one. (laughs) Um, You know, I can name almost all of my teachers from first grade, you know, through high school. Um, There isn't one in particular that stands out as like, wow, that was that was an amazing experience or that was, you know, life changing. Um, But I think more than the names, it was the feeling that you got from the teachers. Um, and my teachers were always kind and understanding and would spend the time with you until you understood what was going on. Um, if every teacher could impart that feeling that I had onto all of the kids in their class, and it might be different for each kid. So they're going to have to do a lot of work to get that feeling across to each kid. But if they can do that, you know, the, the results will speak for themselves. My, you know, I, I went to Catholic school growing up from first through eighth grade. And I know a lot of people have a bad experience with that. I had an amazing experience with that. You know, I was taught by lay people, nuns, priests, all of that stuff who were all incredible people that made school fun, interesting, exciting. Um, and I don't know how you bottle that or how you, <laughs> how you package it and get it to every kid that's going through school. But if every kid could have a, a, an experience like I did, it would, it would just make everything better. You know? That's awesome. Thank you so much. Yes, Scott, doing it differently is an amazing film. It shares the struggles, frustrations, successes, and love of the fathers. It makes the viewer get a better understanding of the world of a parent with an autistic child. Anyone who works with kids and families, should watch this movie. You know, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing doing it differently with us. And I wish you the best in all that you do. Thanks, Stephen. I appreciate the time. Hey, have you got some thoughts, questions, or ideas? I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me through my email at stephenmiletto at gmail.com. Stephen spelled with a V and Mileto is M-I-L-E-T-T-O. And that's at gmail.com. Or if you're in the United States or Canada, you can call my Google Voice number at 478-353-5471. Love to hear from you. Thanks. Take care now. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.